Well, good morning, church. Once again, and I'll probably say this at the beginning of every recording I make until June, once again, this is very strange. Easter weekend is the premier celebration of the church. Sorry, Christmas, you're second place. But we can't celebrate all together the very reason why we are together at all, and that's the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So that's very strange. It's a lot of things, but mostly it's deeply unusual and more than a little unfortunate. Thankfully, there isn't anyone I know directly who has been severely compromised health-wise by the virus. I don't know anyone personally who is suffering or watching a loved one suffer from COVID-19, and that's definitely praiseworthy. But that being said, everyone we know has been affected in some way by the repercussions of this virus. Economic pressures, workplace stress, limited access to goods and services, waning mental health, and looming anxieties, uncertainties, and fears— All of these are realities for the vast majority of Earth's 7 billion individuals. But of all these very real struggles, none of which I'm immune to myself, all of them pale in comparison to one particularly nasty little non-medical side effect of the coronavirus. I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time dealing with the social distancing. I'm a naturally extroverted individual. I get energy and joy, even purpose, from being around people. Thankfully, I have four people at home whom I love very much, and thankfully I'm able to continue working and seeing co-workers who I care about as well. Plus, technology and social media make connecting in alternative ways easier than ever. But come on, liking someone's tweet isn't the same as sharing a smile with a real human in the flesh. I am denied goofing off with my kindergarten kids. I am denied an overnight drive to Calgary or a movie in Edmonton with friends. I'm denied taking the girls to the museum. I'm denied Easter dinner with our family, and who knows what will happen with our annual summer trip to Ontario that we always look forward to so much, or our camp schedule, which provides excellent ministry opportunities. I can't even hug my grandma. Or worse, I'm thinking of our friends who are new grandparents and can't hold their new grandbaby, and that is so brutal. And right there, on par with many of these missed interactions that are causing us very real grief, is the inability to meet together with all of you on Sundays for singing and communion and coffee and overly long preaching. And no weekend will we feel that longing for our brothers and sisters in Christ stronger than Easter weekend. For some people, especially introverts, quarantine is a dream. I'm not one of those people. Social distancing is brutal, and we're likely closer to the beginning of it than the end. It's necessary, I understand, but just because something is necessary doesn't mean that it's easy. The fact that necessary things aren't necessarily easy things has never been more true than on the day we're commemorating today. As I read through the Easter story in light of everything that we're in the midst of in 2020, I'm struck by how much Jesus' suffering aligns with the challenges of social distancing. In fact, it's not hard to argue that while the torturous execution itself was hideously grotesque and excruciatingly painful, The greatest source of anguish for our crucified Lord wasn't the crucifixion itself. It was all the ways that the people around him, and even God himself, continually distanced themselves from him until Jesus died, utterly abandoned, utterly ashamed, and utterly alone. Before I go on, I would encourage you to pause the recording, take 15 minutes or so to read the story of Good Friday. You can find it in any of the four Gospels. In Matthew, it's chapters 26 and 27. In Luke, it's chapters 22 and 23. In John, it's chapters 18 and 19. Or, if you want to read the entire Last Supper discourse that Jesus gives, and you should, it's fantastic, then you would start in John chapter 13 and read up to 19. 
So go ahead, pause the recording, re-familiarize yourself with the brutal details, and see if you can pinpoint all the ways that Jesus was forced into the most cruel and unjust form of social distancing imaginable. And welcome back, if you paused it. If you didn't pause it, then welcome back anyway. Let's recapitulate some of the social distance anguish that Jesus would have felt, starting with the Last Supper that he shared with his friends and followers, the disciples. Now that meal, that meal was definitely not obeying the regulations of quarantine measures. It was 13 guys all in a room, lounged around a U-shaped table, half lying down, half sitting in close quarters, while taking turns dipping food and sharing bites, not exactly COVID-19 regulations. But that's intentional. It was supposed to be small and intimate, almost painfully intimate at times. Especially because this is Jesus' last will and testament, and the recipients of these words continually demonstrate their oafish nature. They misunderstand what Jesus is saying. They doubt and misrepresent their purpose. In Luke's account, they even begin bickering with one another over which one of them is the greatest, just moments after Jesus, who is the purest distillation of greatness who ever walked the earth, just after Jesus had bent down and washed each one of their filthy, dust-caked feet, they start to fight about who's the best of them. What ignorance Jesus had to endure in the middle of a message of selflessness and sacrifice. How far he would, how far he would have felt from them. How far he would have felt from them as they argued over who was the greatest among them. He's always farthest from us when we are so selfishly ego-driven. But topping it all off, Jesus had to proclaim, in this intimate setting, with these, his soon-to-be ambassadors, how man after man after man in that room would completely abandon him. One would sell him out for a few coins and then turn to suicide. Another, who had long been one of his closest friends, the man who would later be the rock upon which Christ would build his whole church, would outright deny even knowing Jesus at all, cursing those who suggested he did. All of them would be scattered like sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus says in Matthew's account, fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah 13. They have the good shepherd, the greatest shepherd any sheep could ever follow, and they flee from him at the first sight of danger. How would the shepherd feel about that? Alone. Jesus then takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and they seem willing enough, until they sit down and drowsiness overcomes them. Jesus had told them solemnly and sternly, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he goes off and prays, and upon returning, guess what? They couldn't even stay awake long enough to join him in his agonized prayer. They caved to their humanity. He was, again, alone. And oh, by the way, the contents of that agonized prayer? Nothing less than the desire for his father to not have him suffer the most gruesome, unfair execution that the Romans, who were professional torturers, could muster. Father, please, I don't want to do this, he begs. He pleads until he bleeds, but in the end, he knows that this extremely uneasy task is necessary for him to complete. It's his bitter cup to drink to the full. He faces a day of shame and pain and alienation, and he faces it alone. Then the guards roll in, fully armed, because his own people, the Jews, don't understand who he is. And of course, Peter tries to fight them and cuts off a guy's ear because even Peter doesn't really understand who Jesus is. And not being understood is a terribly lonely thing. More distance between Jesus and people. Jesus then goes through a sham trial in which he is scorned, spat on, struck, and again, completely misunderstood by those he came to save. He is bounced around from political figure to political figure because no one wants responsibility. 
Pilate and Herod both try to distance themselves from this seemingly unexceptional but clearly innocent man. The last words that Jesus hears on trial are his own people proclaiming they have no king but Caesar and that they want a criminal named Barabbas released instead of Jesus. I, I can't imagine the crushing loneliness of being a king but having your subjects, for whom you are actively dying, deny your kingship and instead proclaim Caesar as their king. Caesar, the ruthless emperor of a relentless occupying force that they had once assumed you would usurp. They thought you came to get rid of Caesar, and now they're proclaiming Caesar as their king. And then they would rather have in their midst a violent rebel and convicted murderer like Barabbas, rather than your own way of compassion and peace. I can't imagine the loneliness of that. Jesus is then beaten without mercy and mocked for sport while an entire rabid crowd calls for his head. All of Jerusalem has their eyes on him, but not for his deserved glory and praise. Instead, it's for his blood, his violent death. Such cruel mockery and heartless treatment is reserved for those you feel are way beneath you, those you are only connected to by absolute disgust and repulsion. That's who you mock in such a way. All their fingers point at Jesus for that reason. All their voices demand his blood for that reason. All the people distance themselves as much as possible from the love of their Messiah by participating in his mockery and execution. His friends and family are there, somewhere, but they have turned away from him. And that includes his father God. Among the very last words Jesus breathed on the cross were these words of lament in a mix of Hebrew and Aramaic when he said, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On Good Friday, our Savior died, forsaken by humanity, forsaken by his God. He died a lonely, agonizing death reserved for Rome's most hated rivals, revolutionaries, slaves, and traitors. They did not understand and they did not care. He was utterly abandoned, utterly ashamed, utterly alone. An eternity of distance between him and everyone he loves. It's obviously a vast difference between that kind of suffering and the pains of social distancing that we're feeling today. I'm away from many of the people I love, but they're there. We haven't abandoned or forsaken each other. You, our church, you aren't an eternity away. You're just a phone call away. And there's a purpose for our social distancing. There's a reason it's the main weapon in the fight against COVID-19. For all the pain and grief that it caused, there's a reason we stick to social distancing. Social distancing is literally preserving life. It is saving those who are compromised. It's not easy, but it's necessary. And the same is true for Good Friday. In the crushing loneliness and suffering of the cross, Jesus was preserving life. He was saving and it, too, was absolutely necessary. In our sermon last weekend, we talked about 1 Samuel 6, but we also mentioned John 12. John 12 is the account of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, kind of the opposite of Good Friday. Every hand was waving in worship, every voice a proclamation of his kingship, every person recognizing Jesus for who he is, mostly. They still misunderstood his true purpose. But still, rather than everyone fleeing from him, they were drawn to him. And they brought him praise rather than pain. So that's the triumphant entry. And John 12 continues after the triumphant entry. The first thing John records Jesus as doing upon entering David's royal city to reclaim the eternal throne is predict his impending death. Here's what it says in John 12, 32. 
says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When he is lifted up, as he was on Good Friday's crucifix, then he will draw all people to himself. Out of the crushing loneliness and separation of the cross comes a drawing together, an invitation and a family, a place to belong, a place to love and to be loved. Jesus died in absolute abandonment, distant from God and humanity alike, but his sacrifice set the table for the great reunion between humanity and divinity. God and his creatures drawn together, finally, once and for all, at the foot of the cross. Without his isolation, we couldn't be together with our God or with each other in the way that we are today. Among his last words, and I mentioned them already, were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a lament. But it's also a quote. Jesus is calling to mind Psalm 22, which opens with David asking God, Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Jesus is drawing our attention to the agony of Psalm 22. But Psalm 22 doesn't linger in agony. David doesn't remain in loneliness and pain. Instead, he moves from pain into praise and trust and an active relationship with the living God whom he serves. Some 21 verses after demanding God answer for being so distant from him, by the end of Psalm 22, David is proclaiming this, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Even though it begins with, why have you forsaken me? By the end of Psalm 22, David is saying he has not, he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Psalm 22 continues, The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. That's Psalm 22. And by quoting Psalm 22, Jesus is acknowledging the crushing pain of being socially distant from God and humanity. But also in Psalm 22, He's turning back towards hope. He's trusting that God will hear his cry and bring salvation. He is drawing all people back to the Lord from the ends of the earth. And all people, even those who cried for his blood and mocked him, all people will bow before the crucified Prince of Peace. From pain to praise, from loneliness and separation to community and reconciliation, from alone in the suffering to rejoicing in the love. That's the story of Jesus' crucifixion. That's the story of humanity suffering through a pandemic. That's the story of Good Friday. And one more thing. Jesus drawing people together from the cross isn't merely a spiritual reality. It's not simply a metaphor. Jesus demonstrated this in a tangible, historical sense from the throes of agony on the cross. Sure, some of his last words were, why have you forsaken me? Acknowledging his torment of distance from God and humanity. But he had other last words that show his purpose of drawing people together in him. To the penitent revolutionary crucified behind him, Jesus promised paradise, the hope of eternal life in the presence of God. To all those who mocked him, Jesus begged his father to forgive their ignorance. And what is forgiveness but the act of drawing enemies together? And in John 19, there's a truly beautiful and gut-wrenching callback to what John had written earlier in chapter 12. As he is raised up, Jesus sees his heartbroken mother, Mary, and his best friend, John himself. And from the cross, Jesus says, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. 
a grieving mother is given a son. His cross drew suffering people together. We are not meant to struggle alone. We have each other, and we have a compassionate Christ who conquered sin and grief and death. So, yes, social distancing is painful, but it's necessary to save lives. On Good Friday, we commemorate and even celebrate a king who won the victory by submitting to being totally in agony, totally abandoned, and totally alone. It wasn't easy, but it was necessary. It was necessary for life and necessary for salvation. And the reward? We are drawn together in the glory of our crucified and resurrected Christ. We're going to sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us, which reflects on a lot of these themes. Uh, Lyrics like, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Or, Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. The cross brings us together. You to me, us to God, it brings us together. So it truly is a good Friday. Let's sing how deep the Father's love for us.
Let's pray. Jesus, today we commemorate a hard day, a day where you felt agony, you felt alone, you felt abandoned, you felt all the worst things a person can feel, and you even felt those things from from the Father, from God. You felt a separation from us and a separation from him. But Jesus, we know that you did that, that you were raised up in order to draw all of us to you, to meet together at the foot of your cross, to give you glory and praise. And we know that even though today is we, we commemorate hard things, that Easter's coming, that you didn't stay dead, you didn't stay alone, you didn't stay in agony, that you conquered all of those things. And you conquer them not just for you, but for us. So we sit today, Father, we recognize your agony, your pain, and your suffering. We recognize that we are often the cause of that agony and pain and suffering, but we recognize also that because of your cross, we are forgiven in you, Jesus, and that we have new life in you. Thank you, Jesus. We, we, cannot, we can't thank you enough for the cross and for the empty tomb, which we'll celebrate in a couple days. You are good, Jesus. This is a good day even in the midst of all the the pain that you suffered. And we pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. All right, uh, we'll we'll do this again on Easter Sunday. Uh, Love you guys, miss you. Have a great Good Friday. God and his creatures drawn together finally once and for all at the foot of the cross. Hello, how are you today?